Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London, I'm Josh Noble. What impact does body image have on our mental health? Darren Dodd discusses why our bodies are often a cause of shame and distress and what can be done about it with Chris O'Sullivan of the UK's Mental Health Foundation and London Deputy Head Teacher, Vanula Kennedy. Chris, this year's theme for Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK is body image. Why have you chosen that? Well, it's something that many people relate to, but that isn't always discussed, isn't always out in the open. It's something that affects us at all ages and stages of our life, from schools and young people to later life. And it's a bit challenging. It's something that people don't find it easy to talk about. And as we get further into our work to promote mental health awareness, we want to explore some of the more difficult topics and make some progress on those. You've put out some interesting research as well. Give us a few of the top lines from that. Yeah, we wanted to know a bit more about body image. So last year we covered stress and we discovered that around 20% of people felt that their body image had caused them to feel overwhelmed or unable to cope in the last year. So we wanted to know more about body image. And the figures are quite stark. I mean, we expected to see quite a high proportion of people having trouble with their body image and how it made them feel. But around 18% of UK adults in our survey of 4,500 adults with YouGov said that they had had suicidal thoughts as a result of their body image. Around a third had experienced feelings of anxiety and around a third, so 35%, had experienced depression. We also asked people whether they had felt particular emotions in relation to their body image and 19% of UK adults had said that they were disgusted as a result of their body image and 20% said that they had experienced shame. So these are emotions we don't want people to feel, particularly since the proportion of respondents saying that they felt proud or happy was relatively low at 9% and 16%. So we see that there's an issue here and we wanted to look into that a little bit more. We had a look at gender, for example. We found that more women than men had reported having deliberately hurt themselves as a result of concerns of their body image. Around one in 10 of the women who responded to the survey compared to 4% of men But 25% of men in the survey reported feeling depressed about their body image. So it's not just a women's issue, although it is something that affects women and particularly young women, and that needs to be addressed. It's not just adults, of course, it's about body image and worries among school kids and teenagers. You've got some research coming out on that as well, right? Absolutely. So in the main survey, we looked at 18 to 24s and we discovered that 18 to 24s generally had more concerns about their body image. But we did a specific poll with teenagers. And one of the things that came up across the board was social media. So 22% of UK adults felt that images on social media had caused them worries about their body image. And that was 46% of 18 to 24s in the survey. And that is broadly similar to what we were hearing from teenagers and what indeed we've been hearing from young people through our schools programs and our young people's programs, which is just another reason why this is an issue that we need to concentrate on. Well, that's a good time to turn to Finula. So, Finula, how much of a problem is it causing you? I teach at a very academic girls' school, within a group of very academic girls' schools. And I really agree with Chris that this isn't an issue that just affects girls. However, what's really interesting to me is that when a prospective parent talks about the atmosphere at our school, one of the questions they always ask is, Is there a lot of issues around body image? Is there a lot of anorexia, bulimia at your school? And obviously I answer a categoric no because we're incredibly proactive about it. But it's interesting that they always ask that of girls' schools. And I say to them, did you ask that of Eton when you sent your boy there? And the answer is always no. And my feeling is that with women in particular, 
we buy into the beauty and diet and exercise industry with such vigour and we spend billions on those industries. And it feels to me that the lack of funding and awareness around these issues is actually quite cynical and deliberate because it's not really in industry or government interests to make this a better situation for young people. You see, for example, the lack of regulation around social media. Now, I think we'll all agree that we don't know yet because it's grown so quickly and without any sense of control and any real research into it, how much of an impact social media has on body image. But I do know that having been a teenage girl and worked with literally thousands of them, that a teenage girl's potential to compare herself negatively to others, and particularly in the way that she looks, has to be exacerbated by the opportunity to do that relentlessly online. So, you know, I used to perhaps compare myself to Kate Winslet in a magazine, but I wasn't looking at the celebritization of ordinary people all over my social media for seven to nine hours a day. So I think it's potentially really dangerous. And I think we have to look at more than just providing child and adolescent mental health services at the end of the process where things have really fallen apart and teenagers are sent to hospitals with anorexia and focus much more on early intervention. And that's why what Chris and the Mental Health Foundation are doing in terms of lobbying against the relentlessness of messaging by advertising campaigns and so on is so important. Social media usually grabs the headlines for this, but are we confusing cause and effect here? Could it be that troubled kids are seeking solace online? How could we ever know? But what I would say, I totally buy into the notion that a lonely child may well spend more time gaming or on social media than a child who has an active, healthy social life with lots of hobbies and so on. However, I don't know any young people who aren't online. And I don't think that we have an entire generation of lonely children seeking solace online. So what we do know is the genie's out of the bottle. And I wouldn't want to demonise the internet. And in some ways, if you look at how, for example, politically active that generation is, you look at someone like Greta Thunberg and the way that she's used the internet to raise environmental issues. Young people use the internet incredibly positively as well. So we mustn't demonise it and make them all feel like they can't look at a Kardashian without falling apart. I don't think that's an issue. But what I do think is that we really need to be helping them build a sense of self-esteem that is actually about liking themselves, not just focusing on the shell of them and what they perform to other people. It's actually about, I own my space, I like my voice, I like my opinions, I've got good friends. Sure. And it's not just social media, traditional media as well plays a part. Of course it does. And I recently wrote a letter to Netflix about a film to the bone, which in my view, enormously glamorised what it is to suffer from anorexia, which is a potentially fatal and incredibly dangerous disease. And what that film, which was watched by literally millions of young people, was saying was, in fact, being thin is a good thing. And it was sort of teaching you how to be just thin enough, but not be in hospital, which I just think is insane. Uh, Chris, you had an episode of a similar type with Love Island. Yes, earlier on this year, in the last season of Love Island, it was brought to our attention that there were cosmetic surgery adverts being placed in the breaks for Love Island, which placed a sort of aspirational desire around particular body shapes and cosmetic surgery in particular. And we took a complaint to the Advertising Standards Authority on that, which was upheld. And it's why we've picked both advertising and social media as part of the recommendations in relation to the body image report. So in the survey that we did, 59% of UK adults said that they wanted more government action on advertising and social media. 
But we need to be quite careful about how we go about that, as Vinula was saying. I have a favourite quote from the actress Ruthie Henshaw, which is that we are constantly judging our insides by everybody else's outsides. And I think that applies often with social media. And I think it's a tool which is used in advertising and by social media algorithms to get us to make those buying decisions. We'd like to see effective regulation, both online and advertising, that relates to the promotion of unattainable ideals as a specific harm. We need to be careful about how we do that, because as we've all rightly pointed out, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are a lot of extremely good positives. Fanula's picked up a couple online peer support in mental health can be very, very important, as can movements like the Me Too movement with LGBT young people feeling much more inclusive. But beyond social media, we're also asking people to do more to promote body kindness, whether that is filling the internet and social media with positive content or looking at how we support individuals and organizations to promote self-care and acceptance and our peer education program which we have in schools and our make it count campaign in schools is very much taking that forward looking at how do we promote a positive image of body image how do we help people to build things can i pick up on something about the surgical procedures that you mentioned and love island I'm really interested in the enormous rise in the sort of sexualization of one's own personal branding over the last sort of 10 years or so, because essentially that's what you know your online profile is, isn't it? It's your self-branding. And I wondered what you think about connections between people's feelings about body image and the enormous availability now of pornography and the really confusing messages I think that gives to all young people, regardless of gender or sexuality. I think this is something that we need to look at in more detail. And certainly we asked about the impact of pornography to adults. It's not something that we were able to ask young people about at the moment. But certainly there is something about a personal brand. Uh, and I think that's a very good way of framing it because young people see brand ambassadors and influencers in a particular way. You know, there's an aspiration to become a YouTuber. There is an aspiration to become an influencer. And the nature of personal brand is such that it's very hard to make mistakes. There is an expectation of perfection that perhaps an advertising agency would have come up with in the past, but now is down to an individual to maintain, which speaking to influencers, and we have spoken to a lot of influencers, is very difficult to maintain, even if you are doing that as a professional job, leave alone if you are a young person who is just trying to appear the best person you can be to your friends and other people. It's very exhausting. And when that personal brand goes wrong or something happens, it can have a very significant effect on somebody's sense of self and well-being. At the GDST, one of the things we really focus on is the notion of embracing failure and not just accepting failure, but as educators, creating spaces on a lesson by lesson basis for young people to experience struggle and difficulty and not being able to do things and learning that that is not just okay, but completely desirable because it's in the struggle that the learning and the excitement happens. If you can help them when their brains are adolescent and plastic to forge those neural pathways that say, oh, just because I've failed at that doesn't mean I'm a failure. Actually, I really believe that creates adults who come out the other side who do have a notion that life will be sometimes good, sometimes bad, that sometimes they'll struggle. But hey, they've got this, you know, they know how to cope. And I think that's where education really has to play a really important part. And I would love to see more focus and money actually going into schools to help us do that.
Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you're saying, Fanula. I mean, as a charity, we're focused on prevention, and that means helping people to protect and promote their mental health. And we have a peer education program, which is teaching year 12s to deliver a curriculum to year 7s in 100 schools in the UK at the moment and growing. And our campaign, Make It Count, which was about putting mental health into the curriculum, are both about bringing the kind of personal skills which lead to a foundation of good mental health into schools. And just to be clear, year seven in the UK means those who have just started secondary education at the age of 11, whereas year 12 typically starts at the age of 16. Chris, you're the lead on workplace issues also at the Mental Health Foundation. Is this a problem in the workplace too? It is, and it's more of an issue than I think workplaces realise. In our survey, 7% of workers said that their body image had affected their performance at work and 3% had taken time off because of their body image. Those are relatively small numbers, but they are significant. And our message in workplaces is that people bring their whole selves to work. And if they are worried about their body image or any other personal concern, they may not want to talk about that at work, but it may be having an impact. So many workplaces give access to things like employee assistance programs and other benefits and we'd like to see those made more available and for people to take them up because people often feel they can't. These are usually confidential services, they're services that employers provide to help people to deal with personal issues like this. But we need to have a conversation about mental health at work, which is broader than just what happens when something goes wrong. I absolutely agree with you, Chris. I think it's really important. And certainly from our point of view as a group of schools, what we want is to provide people who go into the workplace who are aware of these things for themselves, but also ready to help other people in those situations. Okay, Fanula, Chris, thank you very much for joining. That was Darren Dodd talking to Chris O'Sullivan from the Mental Health Foundation and Fanula Kennedy, Senior Deputy Head of Wimbledon High School, part of the Girls' Day School Trust. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. The latest episode of The Next Five podcast is all about AI and the business travel sector. I speak to Tim LaBelle, head of product for SAP Concur Spend Solutions. We'll have so much data that our travel will be safer. Shelley Fletcher-Bryant, VP of Advito. AI can certainly contribute to more eco-friendly travel practices. And author and public speaker, Theo Lau. AI can help us predict when it will be a peak travel, more delays, cancelled flights. Listen to the full episode of The Next Five wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy.